Gentlemen, welcome to the MedTech Impact Podcast, where you get to hear from leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of medical technologies. I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikkeljohn. And we're your hosts of the show. Thanks, Kyle. So today we are delighted to be joined by Rajit Kamal, most recently worldwide president of sports medicine and shoulder reconstruction with Johnson & Johnson's orthopedic division, Depu Synthes. Rajit, Welcome. Well, it's a pleasure to be with both of you, uh, and I'm looking forward to the conversation today. We are too. We're super excited. So again, delighted to have you with us uh, today to discuss what strategics are looking for with startups. But first, I would love you to share with our audience, what led you to MedTech? How did you get started in your career? Great question. So I have been in MedTech for the last 15 years, uh, all of them with J&J, and it's been a great ride and a great experience for me. So uh, just by background, my, I started my career in supply chain. I was on the manufacturing floor, uh, and I really enjoyed the hands-on uh, being on the manufacturing floor, seeing the things coming out as you, as you manufacture them. Uh, I'm an engineer. I'm a chemical engineer by training. Uh, I went to business school, and then I went to Boston Consulting Group to do some consulting work, uh, which was fascinating, a great learning experience for me. Uh, but being an engineer, um, and have always been interested in healthcare. Both my parents were physicians. So healthcare has been an industry of, uh, of interest for me. Um, and you know, as an engineer, I thought medtech would be the best fit where you can bring my engineering skills and my business skills as well. So an opportunity came up at j and it was 15 years back. Uh, and I joined j and and it's been a great run. In the last 15 years, I've worked across different businesses within orthopedics. I've worked across different geographies, different functions. Uh, I have had an opportunity to, you know, lead an implant business, an injectable business, a capital business. Uh, so it's been a very, very interesting ride for me. Uh, I feel, you know, uh, my training as an engineer and my experience as a business leader, uh, MedTech is where both of them come together. Uh, and I've I've really enjoyed that journey so far. You know, Rajit, I just want to jump in too, Richard, real quick, because I always find it fascinating how, you know, people... Uh, get introduced to the med tech industry because, you know, I, I've got some friends in the industry and, and, you know, one of them actually started a podcast himself because he wanted to build more awareness about the med tech industry, right. About biochem to, to open up biochemical engineers and just all different kinds of engineers open up their eyes to med tech because it's, it's not until really after college when they kind of learn about that industry and say, oh, wow, there's a good fit there. So, you know, you, you kind of just stumbled across uh, Depew or or kind of how did that, I mean, obviously you had that family background with doctors, but there you are, a technical business-minded person, not a taking, you know, that traditional um, uh, kind of education for to become a doctor, right? So like kind of what was it though? Like how did you... What was it that really kind of inspired you to, to pursue in medtech? You know, when did that happen exactly? So, look, as I said, look, medtech was an industry of uh, interest for me, right? You know, I was always fascinated by the fact that you could work with physicians and surgeons um, and, you know, work with them to develop a product that addresses an unmet need. And you can bring that to market much faster as compared to, say, a pharmaceutical drug, right? So, that aspect of that, where you can be hands on, with the innovators, with the surgeons in the lab, you know, that just fascinated me. 
Um, when I was doing consulting at BCG, you know, we worked with healthcare clients. Uh, and then I actually worked for a firm called InnoSight. Uh, they are a innovation consulting firm started by Clay Christensen, who is a professor, who was a professor at Harvard Business School, late, mm-hmm. Clay, uh, late Clay Christensen. Yeah. So uh, during that time, I actually consulted for J&J. So I got exposed to Johnson & Johnson, uh, exposed to the values of the organization, the culture of the organization. Um, and I thought J&J is a place where I would fit in. Um, and an opportunity came up uh, and I applied for that position and I was fortunate to be able to get that position. So that's how it got all got started. Sure. Uh, it's just, I was interested in MedTech. I was looking for opportunities um, and then, you know, got exposed to J&J and I thought this will be a great fit. And then an opportunity came up in uh, 15 years and it's been a great run. <laughs> Yeah, sure. The rest is history. So good. Yeah, and I totally take on what you say, Kyle, about having this different approach or this um, career path into this. And and I'm kind of wondering now that you come from this management consulting background and you talk a little bit there about, you know, this expectation that J&J is going to be the right fit for you. I wonder, was that expectation met when you joined them? And it's kind of what's more been your general learning towards the culture and innovation uh, within J&J? It absolutely did, right? Look, you know, I like cultures that are collaborative. I like cultures that, uh, you know, act with high levels of integrity. You know, J&J is a very credo-based organization. Uh, and, you know, I thought I fit in very well. Uh, you know, I like cultures where people work together to solve problems. You know, we get excited by addressing uh, big clinical unmet needs. Uh, so culturally, I think it's been a great fit for me. Uh, so yes, that the the answer is yes. Uh, I think it met my expectations. Um, and last 15 years have been a very enriching experience for me. Um, I have had an opportunity to, as I said, get a very diverse experience. Set. I've worked across different businesses uh, within orthopedics. I led our knee replacement business. I have led sports business. I have led shoulder reconstruction business. I had an opportunity to lead our business in Asia. Um, I have, you know, had an opportunity to work in different types of business environments. So just been a very rich uh, experience for me over the last 15 years. And have you seen a big difference between coming at it from a managing consulting perspective, as opposed to being on the inside and almost taking that approach, but doing it internally? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, management consulting, uh, we provide strategic advice, right? And and as a, as a business leader, uh, I think having the right strategy is very important, right? It's very important for you to make sure you have the right strategic vision. You are driving the time, uh, the team in the right direction. You're allocating your resources towards what makes the biggest difference. We all have limited resources. And that's where strategic thinking comes to identify, you know, what are the few levers where you want to really focus the team on, focus your resources on. That's where the strategy background comes in. But what I really like is then how do you take that and execute with the team? How do you engage with the team? How do you inspire the team? How do you create the right team environment? You know, end of the day, that is what makes the biggest difference. That is what is the difference between, you know, who is a winner and who is not a winner, right? And and I get a lot of energy engaging with people. I get a lot of energy, you know, working with surgeons, as I said. Um, So I think, you know, for me, uh, taking that strategy, but then executing it, you know, uh, was was an exciting part of being, uh, being a leader in the healthcare organization than just being on the consulting side. It's so true. And I think, again, you touched on this word around leadership. I, I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit about sort of the principles you hold within that and, and how you apply that to executing the strategy. That's a great question. Look, you know, leadership makes a huge difference. 
Uh, and, you know, sometimes it, we don't fully understand how, an in, you know, as, as a leader, you're not doing everything, but you are creating the right environment. You're creating the right culture with the way you engage with the team, the way you act, the way you say things, right? Uh, you know, I feel it is important as a leader to create an inclusive environment where everybody feels they are valued, they are welcome, they can speak up without fear of, you know, the psychological safety Amy Edmondson at Harvard Business School talks about, uh, I think it is absolutely critical in a high functioning team. But everybody should feel that they can speak up, they can voice their opinion. Doesn't matter, you know, how, you know, where you are in the, in the hierarchy, right? Um, so I think, and the leader creates that in one. Uh, the, the how you react to when people challenge you, how you react to, you know, when people disagree with you sets the tone, right? So I feel like, you know, as a leader, it is very important. The second thing is leadership is a privilege, right? We all need to understand that if you get an opportunity to be a leader, it's a privilege. Um, and very quickly, one has to understand leadership is about the people you lead, not, not about you, right? So you have to genuinely care for them. You have to get to know them. Um, and I learned this the hard way. My first job in PNG when I was a manufacturing supervisor, uh, I led uh, you know, people who used to work on the factory floor. Um, and you know, I failed. I had a lot of challenges. And, uh, but it taught me very important lessons, uh, very, very important lessons on uh, you, know, you have to spend time getting to know people. You have to spend time. You know, as There's a saying that says people don't care unless they feel that you care. And I think that is important. Right? You know, you've got to make sure you get to know people. You care about them. That does not mean you won't give them uh, you know, a constructive feedback. I think you, that does not mean you will not have disagreements. Right? You have to create a safe culture to do that. So I think as a leader, uh, it is important to create an inclusive environment, environment where people can bring their own you know, authentic self, drive collaboration. Nobody can do things on their own. right? Nobody. You all need to collaborate with people who think differently. right? people who challenge each other. Uh, so I think as a leader, uh, the way you show up, the way you engage with the team, your actions uh, really sets the tone. Um, and, and as I said, it's a privilege. Uh, and that is something I always take very seriously on how I'm engaging with the team. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, uh, I think those are some of the things that I have learned over time. The, the other thing I would say is, which you know, became more prominent is empathy. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we all have challenges. Uh, and as a leader, how do you lead with empathy? How do you make sure that you are, you know, going that extra distance to understand where people are coming from, uh, again, makes a huge difference. Yeah, those are, those are interesting points. And uh, Richard, you know, I, I, I love the focus on leadership here. And I think it's, it's um, so important, obviously, for anyone who's starting a company, uh, you know, uh, a new business, a new technology, developing something new, bringing it to market. I mean, not only are they focused on the technical side and 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 building the device and making it happen, but they're responsible for building a team on the other hand, right? So um, the types of Absolutely. environment you want to create, that inclusive environment, you know, we see how beneficial that is, especially in this day and age. And especially now with people working from home and being remote and all over the world, I mean, Rajiv, you know, you're talking about Depew. That's a big company. You know, how do you spend that time with these people? How do you develop that talent? When people are working from home. And so I think, look, so there are two things, right? So first is, you know, I do think having a face-to-face, -face, um, you know, whatever is the right frequency uh, is important. 
right now we have a policy where you know we are requiring people to be in the office three days a week and then flex two days right sure um, and I feel like face to face is important to build relationships uh, you know you it's important you are walking with somebody to the cafeteria and you have a conversation about what they did over the weekend that is where the bonding comes from right mm-hmm. um, but even if you are remote these days with technology it's about intention more than anything else right you know if you can't see you can always text your teammates say hey how are you doing right or you can you know call people right so you have to make an effort uh, because you won't bump into people if you are at home right <laughs> um, but i think you know driving that engagement uh, making sure you're reaching out to people is very important um, you know i i always have a time schedule and i you know I don't want to overload people with meetings, but I always have time scheduled with my entire team at some frequency, with my direct reports at some frequency. Uh, so again, making sure that, and you know, when you talk, not just talk about business, right? Talk about personal, talk about family. Um, and I think that creates that bonding. So the workplace is going to evolve, Kyle, right? To your point, uh, we all need to evolve with that. Uh, and the workplace of the future is not going to be nine to five in an office, right? Uh, and we all need to figure out a way to evolve with it. You know, whether it is leveraging more technology, you know, I think Zoom has, you know, there was no, I mean, there was Zoom, but people didn't use it before 2020, right? Yeah. Uh, because I remember it was all phone calls. So you never saw each other, you never saw the body language, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, I think Zoom has made a, it's, it's a huge leap, I think, right? You can see each other, you can react to people's body languages. So I think, you know, technology is going to continue shaping. Uh, you know, you think about technology, Microsoft or Facebook is developing where, uh, you know, you create a virtual office, right? So I think we all need to evolve, but the, sure. but the essence around reaching out to people, essence around showing that you care, you know, essence around showing empathy, uh, those will still remain. It's just the way you express it, the way you reach out uh, might evolve as more and more technology gets incorporated in our workplace. Mm. These are such great principles. And I think anything for somebody who's earlier in their career to really understand that these can be applied at any stage and as you develop. But I wondered for you personally, and something, Kyle, again, we like to ask all our guests is, you know, did you have any mentors through your career who have really guided these principles and you've, you've really learned a lot from? Yeah, I mean, there have been mentors along the way, right? But also you observe people, right? And which is very important. You observe leaders, right? You know, I have grown up, you know, I, as I said, I've worked in PNG, I've worked in consulting, I've worked in J&J. And as you come up the ranks, right, you look at leaders and there are some leaders you say, this is how I want to be, or this is what I want to learn from. There are some leaders you say, this is not what I want to do, right? So there are, you, you learn, right? So I have been very uh, fortunate to have mentors who have, you know, and, and, you know, you want mentors who provide you not only just the good job you're doing, but also, hey, you can do this differently. Right. If you do this, you can be more effective. Right. Uh, so, yes, I have had mentors. I've had supporters. Uh, but also it's very important to observe and say, hey, if I have an opportunity to be a leader, uh, this is something I want to do. This is something I don't want to do. Uh, and I think we all learn that as we observe people around us. Uh, and I think that is very important. It's such yeah. a great point because I always are learning is best when we make a mistake and we're challenged. And I think having people who can push you beyond where you're comfortable is such an important thing. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So we're here to talk strategics and I know that I'm dying to get into this with you. Um, oh, yeah. You no, know, kind of tell us a little bit 
you know, more about your experience here, um, working with, you know, technologies uh, that might be attractive, you know, maybe for acquisition um, and, and how you are, you know, finding and engaging and, and collaborating with these, you know, smaller, more innovative uh, companies that are bringing new technologies to market. Yeah. And look, you know, these are my views, right? So not necessarily the views of DPU Cynthia for Johnson & Johnson. I just want to sure. make sure that I... I okay, good. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, look, for any strategic, uh, one thing we all need to realize is that all innovation will not come from inside. It's just not possible, right? Uh, there's a lot happening outside. And especially I say this as we start to see more and more digital technologies coming in because the rate at which that development is happening, a strategic will never be able to match it. I shouldn't say never be able to, but it's just like, you know, there's so many things happening at a much faster rate outside, right? So tapping into what is happening externally has to be a key part of strategy for any big company, any strategy, right? Then the question is, how do you make sure you are aware of what is happening? right? Because you want to be aware, right? Uh, and different companies have different strategies, right? You know, one thing we do is uh, when you go to trade shows, I always walk the floor uh, because smaller companies have their table, right? And you want to go around and learn what they're doing, right? Uh, LinkedIn is a great resource. I get a lot of incoming uh, messages from startups that, hey, I would love to share our technology with you. And I, I always take those calls, non-confidential to learn, right? Uh, the third is, you know, J&J has what we call is a J&J uh, Development Corporation, JJDC, uh, that, you know, invests in startups. So they have their own ecosystem where they have companies on their radar that we work with, right? Um, and so I think, you know, in reading trade publications, uh, we work with surgeons and in, especially in orthopedics, usually you will have a surgeon involved in some of the innovations that are happening. So when I speak with surgeons, I always ask them, every surgeon I have a conversation with, and I meet with surgeons all the time, tell me what's something interesting you have heard lately, right? Tell me about a technology that uh, you find intriguing, right? Uh, not, not If something is confidential, don't share, but something that you write. Uh, and that has been a great way for me. I have learned about so many companies that they were not on my radar. And then I go back and then I call them and say, hey, you would love to learn more, right? Um, so making sure that not only understanding the importance of external innovation, but ensuring you are doing all your levers to be able to be aware of what these companies are, right? Mm. The third thing is to be very clear from your strategic. So we talked about strategy in the beginning, right? One has to be very clear on what are we looking for from an external standpoint and why, right? So what are the things that we want to uh, develop externally versus internally, and what are the areas? You have to be very clear about that so that when you identify companies, they should be fitting into whether it's a portfolio gap, a big unmet need that you want to address, right? Um, so I think that that would be the third one to say. Once you, you have to be clear on your strategy, uh, you have to understand the importance of external innovation and make sure that you are leveraging all the levers to understand what those companies are. Uh, and then once you find them, there, there are multiple ways to engage, depending upon the stage they are at. You know, sometimes we work with our JJDC partners who make an equity investment. You know, sometimes they come to our J Labs. JNJ has a J Labs where it is just advisory. We're not putting any money, but you know, we put some. We call them uh, mentors or J pals is what we call them. I am a J pal to a couple of companies where you know it's no strings attached. 
but we are aware of their technology and we are advising them, bringing our expertise. Uh, and the third option is we acquire those companies and bring them in, right? So again, depending upon where they are, the level of interest, you figure out what is the right way as an organization to engage with them. It's so fascinating because I think something we often think about in the medtech space is we're a very small ecosystem and everyone knows one another, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's still a challenging space to sometimes build those connections and relationships. And so I wondered if you could talk a little bit now about what you've seen work best and maybe back to this idea of communication and obviously building the right story is one thing, but how does a startup go about building that relationship to make sure that they're fostering the right connection? Yeah. So look, you know, for a startup, I think, you know, the, the event you are organizing, right? I mean, that's a great way to, again, you know, participate in some of these, right? If you are a startup, uh, if you're very early in your journey, so partnering with a strategic is a double-edged sword. And the reason I say that is, if you get a strategic to invest, that's a validation of your technology, right? So if j j comes and says, hey, I want to invest in this company, from a VC community, that's like, okay, so a big strategic is interested, there is something there, right? But sometimes you also tie your hands because the other strategics in the field will be like, oh my God, this j j company, right? Or, right? So if you are a strategic, uh, if, if you are a startup, uh, you have to be very thoughtful about how you want to engage with a strategy, right? Uh, and, you know, putting myself in an entrepreneur's shoes, um, I would make sure I do it at the right time where I can capture the value of technology. Mm -hmm. if, if you do it too early, sometimes you might or might not be able to capture the value, right? So I think if you're a strategic, the you know, first thing you want to make sure is, you know, you're making sure you have the right people on your board, right? So you are getting... Uh, and boards have a lot of connections, right? So you, you get clinicians, you're getting people who can connect you to the right people. Make sure you're getting into all these important uh, uh, events that, you know, the one that you are organizing, where again, you get on people's radar. Make sure you're showing up at the right trade shows, right? Um, and then proactively reach out, proactively reach out to, like if if a company reaches out, when if, you know, when I was leading j, &J sports business, if they reach out to me, I would always take a call, always take a call. Uh, because, you know, and sometimes we might not sometimes, many times we say, look, this is not of interest, but I will always have a conversation to learn about what the technology is. So reach out, I mean, leverage length, length into, you know, reach, reach out to people. But my advice to all the startups would be, don't rush into a partnership um, with a strategic. Sometimes it can be the right thing to do, um, but sometimes it can it can uh, put some constraints, uh, especially as you start to think about exit and all that stuff, right? So you have to find the right balance. Yeah. Raji, do you see there being, you know, what, when a strategic gets involved too, you know, they want to see you kind of go in a certain direction, I would imagine, right? So, you know, sometimes maybe there could be risk at being so focused on going one way and you might be missing, you know, other opportunities. You know, it's just something I think about, you know, if you're developing a technology, you kind of want that, you know, yes, you have a plan. Yes, you have a strategy, but you want to have that ability. What's so great about these smaller tech, you know, early stage companies, they, they're dynamic. They can pivot quickly. They see an opportunity. Oh, wow. Actually, you know, not to derail them, but, you know, to make sure that they're going in a direction that's going to help them, you know, not just be success, successful, but provide the greatest outcome. You know, do you ever see that? You know, and I, and I think that that is the point I was making. Carl, right? Okay. Yeah. If, if a strategic investment comes with constraints around that, yeah. you have to be 
you have to make i'm not saying look a strategic investing in a startup is a huge uh, stamp of uh, approval of your technology and the potential right and sometimes it is absolutely the right thing but you got to make sure you know what strengths it comes with and are there the trade offs you want to make right um, i also think from a strategic standpoint <laughs> excuse me especially from an acquisition standpoint uh, we usually wait till the either the technology is regulatory approved uh, you know you we usually wait till some of those risks have been retired right technology risk regulatory risk you know we come in at the right time when it's time to really scale up commercialization because that's where our infrastructure is we have a sales force day one we can plug it in and now thousand people are selling it right mm-hmm. uh, so for us that is the right time where you have developed the technology you have got through regulatory approval right uh, but there are times where you know jnj or other strategics might come in early through their investment arm make an equity investment uh, but if you are a startup you want to make sure that uh, you are you totally understand the strengths with which that investment is coming from because mm-hmm. if you are a startup you know and especially if you are very early in the journey you might pivot and you might pivot five times before you get to where you want mm-hmm. to right uh and and you don't want your hands to be tied uh, tied in that um uh, and sometimes i feel that's how the ecosystem should work right where you know more uh, vcs who are agnostic to any strategics make the investment and then as the technology matures and as the regulatory pathway looks clearer that's where strategics start coming in um and i think more and more that's where i would see strategies being more and more interested from an acquisition standpoint yeah, i have another question too um how how does a company decide you know whether or not to do something in house or make the decision to you know l- look at outside companies as a potential you know partner or acquisition so you know i always tell the team that our north star should be to bring the best technology to the market fastest right so if there's a clinical unmet need the question we have to ask is how can we bring a solution to address that unmet need fastest to the market with the best technology and we have to evaluate internally and externally uh if an external pathway is faster that's where we should go right we should be wedded to one way or the other mm-hmm. we should be wedded to our patients we should be wedded to making sure that we are bringing the best technology to the market faster right so that's how we have to think about right kyle so it's not about so that's how we that's the approach we take sometimes we feel we can do this better internally and much faster um and that's the route we take there are a lot of times our technology is where we feel like okay if we buy this you know maybe with some of our effort we can get to market faster um or sometimes technology is where let's just stop what we are doing internally let's just buy them right and mm-hmm. i can you know we have done all of these right we had a active development project we came across a technology and we said let's stop this let's buy that right because mm-hmm. it gives us two years head start on bringing this addressing this unmet need right yeah um, so sometimes if it's a high risk thing say for example you might want to say hey maybe we partner where we are sharing risk right so you know we put some capital somebody externally puts capital and we are sharing risk the potential could be very high but we are not taking all the risk as well right there are multiple ways to do this uh, but i think the north star has to be what is the pathway that gets the best technology to market fastest to address the unmet needs we see in the market hmm. that's yeah that's that's a great point and richard i mean thinking about you know 
um, all all of these early stage companies too that we talked to so so many times on uh, on our show. Um, you know, speed to market is always very important, and it's a journey though. At the end of the day, I mean, it is a, a bringing a medical device technology to market takes years. Um, oh, yeah. It takes so significant capital, right? So um, it's it's no, it's great to get Rajit's kind of insights there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, again, Carl, we hear a lot about the different challenges startups face. Uh, and a lot of what we try to do with M2D2 is thinking about stakeholder engagement and stakeholder alignment. Yeah. And I wondered, you know, Rajit, you've touched up maybe upon some of the, the positive things startups could be doing, but is there anything maybe that frustrates you within the industry where you think, you know, there's challenges there that we sh- should and could and hopefully can do better? Ah, I mean, there are always there are always things we can do better. There are always things we can do better. I feel like, you know, as a you know, one of the stakeholders in this ecosystem, we need to continue creating an environment where uh, we continue to foster more and more startup environment. Because I really feel startups have a very important role to play in driving innovation in medtech. You know, they can be innovative, they can be faster. Um, and we need to continue that, whether it is mentoring and doesn't have to be dollars all the time, whether it is mentoring, whether it is, you know, uh, equity or dollars, right? Uh, we need to make sure in the, within the ecosystem, we are providing that help. Um, and, you know, as today I work for a strategic, uh, I'm happy to help a startup that might or might not end up with us, right? Uh, but end of the day, we have to make sure that we are all driven by bringing the best technology that makes an impact on the patients um, and not get caught up in, okay, I won't do this because it might not come to us. Uh, And I think as we take, all of us, we need to take that broader approach, Uh, but fostered, I mean, I'm very glad to see a lot more med tech uh, activity these days, right? On the venture side, um, you know, on the the startup side, right? But we need to foster more. Because think about med tech is, you know, uh, if you think about, if you ever develop a new drug on the pharma side, it's hard for a startup. It's like a you know you have to do phase three studies. These are millions of dollars, right? Mm. On a med tech, unless it's a PMA, a five ten k path is a little bit faster, right? Lower cost, right? So you can bring a cadence of innovation much faster. Um, I think that is what is exciting about med tech, right? right? You mm. can innovate much faster. You can do it, you know, without significant investment of capital, right? Uh, so I don't know what the frustration is, but I would say. Uh, I just want to make sure that, you know, all of us are playing our part in fostering that environment uh, where we where we bring innovation fast. And sometimes if it is not the right technology, uh, you know, have them cycle through and, you know, uh, but I think, you know, whether it is our capital or our experience, but we all need to play a role um, in fostering and creating that environment. And before we touch on some of the market reflection, I just want to say a huge thank you to you because you've been doing this yourself. You've been mentoring through the impact program and providing that hands-on guidance to one of our companies. So thank you. No, absolutely. And look, I, I love doing this and, you know, I do this with multiple uh, forums um, and, and I learn a lot. I learn a lot. And again, you know, my objective here is to help these companies. I have no personal agenda, no agenda on behalf of my employer, right? It's all about how can I help uh, these passionate innovators. I get lot of energy from people who are so passionate about what they're doing. Um, and we need more and more people like that. So no, I thank you for the opportunity. I am very glad to be here. You know, that that kind of segues nicely into, you know, the current market today too. I mean, obviously here you are working firsthand with 
um, some of the companies that come out of M2D2 and the impact program. Um, and, and looking at the current market, I guess what kind of, you know, between strategics and these early stage companies, I know like, you know, it might've hit on a few things uh, regarding your personal experiences working with companies, but from a market standpoint, what do you see as, I guess, some of these challenges or maybe problems with how, you know, these early stage companies might be, you know, bringing technologies to market and how strategics kind of are looking at them and, and assessing whether or not hey, this is the right company, right technology, right fit. They've got the right strategy, all of that, right? There's so much there. So I can, what do you see as maybe maybe the biggest problem uh, in that focus there? So look, the current environment is interesting, right? You know, it's been two weeks since the SVB went down and created a, you know, disruption in the, you know, startup and the venture ecosystem, right? Um, and, and I think, you know, inflation, some of the economic uncertainties, this is a difficult time to raise capital from a VC, right? A difficult time, right? So, but I think this is the time which is actually fav could be favorable for strategics. Uh, so if you think about, right, you know, if, if you are a strategic with a strong balance sheet, you don't have to raise capital. So interest rate might not impact you, right? Uh, and this is a time where if you don't, not seeing a lot of competition from a private equity or a VC firm, uh, you might be able to get some favorable terms as well, right? So I think strategics in this environment, uh, it, the environment could be favorable for the right asset. Um, and I think strategics have an important role to play in an environment like this. Uh, because, you know, we are not trying to raise capital or things like that. Usually you can leverage your balance sheet to be able to do that. Mm. Um, but from a, from a venture standpoint, I think this is a tough time for a variety of reasons, right? Uh, there's economic uncertainty, there is inflation. Uh, and, uh, you know, from what I have heard and I've spoken to people in both in the venture uh, uh, community and in the startup community, this is particularly a hard time. Uh, and now with uh, Silicon Valley Bank just creates another another wrinkle, right, that they need to figure mm -hmm. it out. Um, so, yeah. But look, you know, I, I still believe that the startup ecosystem is resilient. Uh, People will get through this, right? Uh, you know, I hope the economy gets back into the strong footing it was at the beginning of last year. It's just been 14 months, right? And uh, inflation rates have gone from 3% to I don't know wherever they are today, right? So, mm. uh, so it's just, yeah. Um, but I think in this environment, I do feel strategics have a, have a very important role. To play. Mm. And, yeah. And, yeah, go ahead, Richard. No, I was just going to say what's coming through loud and clear to me is just the mindset because you know, you started by having this positive spin. And I think that's a really important part of this that, you know, that startups can always just look at this to say, well, of course it's challenging times, but how do we create opportunity? And I listened to a really interesting podcast over the weekend talking about that you know, maybe one of the positive outcomes is there's potentially some new talent coming onto the market that these startups can be connecting with and actually bringing onto their teams. And so again, if you try to look for the positive opportunity, it's a great way to keep that mindset going forward. It is. Look, you know, this is a difficult time. You know, a lot of a uh, lot of big companies are going through reduction in force, right? So uh, you're right. Uh, this might uh, give you access to talent that might not have been looking to explore opportunities outside. All of a sudden, they have all this experience and expertise, and they are looking for their next challenge. And uh, absolutely, I think this is a great time for startups to look at some of those talents uh, mm -hmm. and see how 
all day kind of well and also you know we've seen a number of layoffs right with a lot of these big companies and that's the reality that's what's happening where are these people going to go maybe you know you see this is when entrepreneurs are born you know in a way so uh what an exciting time to maybe have worked for these larger organizations many years in a company to say you know what um this is the world telling me something you know this is this is my chance to do what i've always maybe dreamt about doing you know a lot of these engineers are so passionate about what they do day in and day out right um so maybe if they are you know unlucky and have to go through you know an unfortunate layoff and they find themselves in that situation you know maybe maybe it's it's an opportunity for them to go off and build something that will actually change change the world right so that's that that can be an exciting opportunity i think as well 100 100 yeah. yeah sometimes you yeah you know i say i forgot what the saying is but uh, adversity creates opportunities i don't know there's a saying there but mm-hmm. but you're right yeah, yeah you know um yeah these things can lead to you know companies opportunities that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise so Agreed. Definitely. Or or even companies that might already exist today where it's like they get the opportunity now to, to recruit or bring on some top talent, right, that they might not have had that chance to do. So uh, a lot of, yeah, to your point, a lot of um, exciting opportunities in, a, in, you know, what is obviously right now a, a kind of a challenging and, and scary time in, in our economy. There's no doubt. Agreed. Uh, Rajit, if you're specifically looking at something like sports medicine, do you get excited when you see new technologies coming to market? Is there any sort of emerging space where we should be keeping an eye on? Absolutely. Sports medicine is an exciting space to be in. Uh, it's a fast-growing uh, segment of orthopedics, and there are high unmet needs. Think about rotated cuff, which is one of the biggest procedures in sports medicine. 20 to 40% of rotated cuffs have a retail rate, right? So think about ACL, you know, significant uh, 10 to 20% of ACLs fail, right? So what you're looking at is a space that is faster growing but has unmet needs. And that is what excites me because that means there's a room for innovation. There's room to bring technologies that can close that gap in unmet needs, right? So, you know, I think potential of technology, uh, artificial intelligence is going to make a difference. I see potential of biologics, uh, potential of new materials, right? So uh, a lot of scope and opportunity in sports medicine. And I'm very, very excited about uh, uh, how the innovation frontier is going to shape up in this space. And and then looking forward, like if you think about the market and I guess there's this bigger picture of, you know, where would you like to see the market go in terms of the technologies and, and just, I guess, how we provide equality in healthcare uh, and, you know, opportunity for others to, to enter the market and to, uh, to realize their path, um, whether that's from a career perspective or just, again, supporting in the industry. Look, I think technology is going to play a big role in that, Richard, right? Um, I'm very excited about the potential of AI ML uh, in surgery, uh, but also uh, it will level the playing field, right? Uh, the variability that you see uh, from a hospital or a surgeon to surgeon, I think technology has a potential to level that, right? Technology has the potential to bring the intelligence of everybody to every surgeon, right? Uh, so uh, I think technology is going to play a key role uh, in how surgeries are done, whether it is, you know, at the point of care uh, decision making and in providing in- information, right? Or using robotics or augmented reality 
Uh, I mean, augmented reality and robotics, again, a step in the right direction to be able to drive better accuracy and precision of how surgery is executed, right? So I think if there's one thing that is going to really transform how surgeries are done uh, and drive better care, uh, but also drive equity, as you talked about, uh, level the playing field, uh, I think it is going to be artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, driven, you know, enabled by, you know, things like augmented reality and, and robotics as well. So I am very excited about that. And I think that is going to shape the future of surgery for sure. I agree entirely. And I think, again, that creates a whole new raft of opportunity for folks who are coming at that with an understanding of data and AI and what they can bring to the table to improve technologies and how they're applied in the healthcare setting. 100%. Well, when it comes down to, you know, any kind of final advice that, you know, I, I guess this is, I want two answers here. What would be your advice to, you know, larger strategics out there, right, that are currently exploring opportunities outside of, you know, outside of their four walls um, with other organizations, right? And what would that advice be for someone who's trying to get the attention of a strategic and, you know, create a partnership there? Right? So two-part question. Look, if you are a strategic, you know, my advice would be number one, uh, through your activities, you do, do things that foster a broader ecosystem of innovators and startups, right? Whether it is no strings attached advising, right? You know, whether, you know, create that environment or, you know, be part of creating that environment that fosters more people to come in because the bigger the pie, everybody benefits, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to enter this with that mindset. It shouldn't be about just, I'm going to help only if it helps me. Uh, I'm going to help because it's going to help the broader ecosystem. It's going to address unmet needs. Um, I think that's the mentality with which we need to get in both with our capital, but also our know-how. Uh, because the know-how is very important. You know, if you are a startup, you know, having somebody who has 15 years of regulatory experience is worth in gold uh, when you're trying to figure out what should be your regulatory strategy, which is a key critical question every startup asks, right? Uh, you know, how do we think about a go-to-market model? Again, somebody who has done this for 15 years will bring a very, you know, important perspective, right? So that's one. Um, as 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 strategics, also, we need to make sure that there's a right focus in terms of, uh, uh, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, we are plugged into the areas where we can identify what these companies are. So, that, so that's one. If you are a startup, again, figure out what is the right time to engage with the strategic. And that's a very specific question the startup needs to answer, right? At what stage an engagement with strategic would be helpful and what kind of engagement? And again, that can be equity investment, that can be acquisition, that can be just advisory, right? Uh, but answer that question, who are the strategics and what will be the right stage for me to involve them? And what does that involvement look like? Look, strategics are excited by technologies that are differentiated. So do you really have a differentiated technology that is addressing an unmet need and that has a big opportunity, right? So are you answering those three questions? Um, the differentiation of technology is extremely important. Do you have the right IP? right? Who are the other players? Why are you better? Do you have data to prove that, right? How do you articulate that? I think all those things are very, very important uh, when you're looking to either sell yourself to a strategic or uh, trying to get an investment from a strategic. That's wonderful, man. Rajit, that's fantastic. And, and how do people get a hold of you? Oh, you can reach me on LinkedIn. Uh, I am very responsive. And as I said, I have a passion for helping people in the startup community. So look, 
If anybody thinks I can be of help, just send me a note on LinkedIn. I can guarantee I will get back to you. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and I think that's really, uh, that's incredibly generous of you too, Rajit. I mean, the fact that you take so many calls and respond to so much, um, you know, maybe outreach to you uh, in regards to other companies, founders, their technologies. Um, and to your point, having someone with your type of background and experience to be able to provide some sort of insight, guidance, incredibly valuable. So I uh, can't thank you enough for for all you've done throughout your career and all you're doing uh, to help inspire MedTech innovation. So thank you. No, thank you.